could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. I never got on those, those, those boys. Good morning and thank you for spending a bit of your bank holiday Sunday with us all. Mike Debit here with Ken and Murph on Second Captain Sunday. Hi guys. Hi all. Hey Is it okay to feel a tiny bit of sympathy towards an unrepentant two-time drugs cheat who's just become a world champion? It's a question I'm wrestling with this morning after watching Justin Gatlin destroy Usain Bolt's plans to finish his career with one last 100 metres title. The crowd in London, don't know if you guys saw this, but yeah. they did... They reacted by doing what they've been doing all weekend and booing Gatlin mm. absolutely relentlessly. Now, Justin Gatlin is not an easy figure to root for, for the above reasons. But when you're watching him compete, it does feel a little bit like athletics fans have taken all their anger, all their confusion about the doping problem that's ruined their sport and channeled it directly into one man mm. who they see as the incarnation of evil. Once they've got that out of their system, they just kick back and allow themselves to feel good about all the other whiter-than-white athletes striving heroically to become the yeah. best in the world by fair means. No, no, of, of course we're against uh, doping a sport. I just booed Justin Gatlin. <laughs> yeah, there's a little... And now I'm free to enjoy the, enjoy the rest of it. I mean, why not boo Johan Blake, who was standing right beside him last night, also served a drugs ban, literally in the next lane. You didn't have to go too far <laughs> to find a bit of nuance. Why not hold back a few of the cheers for Mo Farah until after the US, US authorities yeah. have completed their investigations into his it coach? Was, it was an amazing statistic from Nick Harris of the top 30 sprints or the top 30 hundred meter times in history mm. uh, only nine of those have been done by an athlete who has never tested positive for drugs and that's they're all nine by Usain Bolt mm. so everyone else who's been remotely close to being as fast as Bolt has at some point or another tested positive for drugs just a small bit of nuance would be nice the, see, the problem when you paint one guy as the villain is that you have to deal with the consequences when that guy becomes mm. the champion of your flagship event always nice to hear from you either on Twitter at Second Captains or by text 51551 we're halfway through the current series of the show and each week takes us closer to our ultimate goal finding out who is Ireland's greatest non-sports person sports person I'm pretty certain today's guest is the first of our contestants to arrive into battle wearing a plastic bag on his head his comedy career evolved out of prank phone calls recorded on his phone in Limerick and into the wonderfully surreal Rubber Bandits. In the last couple of years, he's become one of the sharpest commentators in the national media, really speaking powerfully on topics ranging from mental health to the need for men to embrace feminism. Blind Boy Boat Club is on the show this morning. Murph, a quick refresher, please, on how the standings are looking coming into today's program. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Comedians have to be losers. Comedians can't be winners. That's the whole point of comedy. You can't. You can, the, the story can't end. And then I won the trophy. The story Boring. has to be. Yeah. And then I tripped and landed in the crowd. So Adam Hills most certainly did not win last week, uh, but our guest last week is on the podium for this year's greatest non-sports person sports person award behind Nikki Byrne on eighty-seven and a half points, with Pat Short just a half point behind. Maeve Higgins currently brings up the rear own on seventy-two points, mm. but will she still be last by the end of today's show? My gut feeling suggests <laughs> that Maeve's time in the basement may soon be at an end. We'll find that very shortly indeed. Yeah, last month the Guardian produced a lovely short documentary about the town of Ballyhonnes in Mayo that quickly became one of the most viewed videos ever on its website the story that was told was one of integration lots of kids from different cultures including some of those living locally in direct provision were finding their place in the town thanks to the efforts of the GAA club there the picture that was painted was a very happy and unified one but the reality now may be a little bit more complex we're going to chat about that later in the show first tune we're going to play this morning is in honour of Sam Shepard the playwright actor and director who passed away in the last week he had a lot of connections to this country yeah and a long standing relationship with the Abbey Theatre and I thought by 
far the most affecting thing writ- written about him this week was published in The New Yorker by his friend Patty Smith, who recalled the evening they spent together in Dublin after he'd been given an honorary doctorate uh, by Trinity, checking out John Milton Singh's typewriter, James Joyce's glasses, and then pints afterwards in the cobblestone in Smithfield. Uh, you should really check it out. It's an absolutely beautiful piece of writing, and it's uh, available for free on newyorker.com, and we'll tweet a link to it now as well. All right, 51551 is the number to text. Tweet at Second Captains. Email secondcaptains at rt.ie. Blind Boy Boat Club from Rubber Bandits is next up. This is Paddy Smith, and this is Second Captain Sunday. That's Paddy Smith and Land from the album Horses in 1975. Blind Boy Boat Club, good morning. How are you, boys? We're pretty good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Now, listen, you're an artist, a musician, a yeah. comedian. Why did you start talking? When and why did you start talking about politics? Um, We kind of always did a little bit. We just... Uh, it was more heavily cloaked in metaphor, you know? Um, like, most people would know us from our song Horse Outside, you know? But that song's not even about a horse. That song was about um, the recession, you know? That song was about get, getting rid of your material things in favour of something more um, kind of traditional, like a horse, you know? Mm. Um, as well, I grew up during the Celtic Tiger. And, uh, Jesus, when I was in, in, in fifth year in school, like, there was lads leaving school just so they could get a job in Dell. And, you know, buy a Honda Civic or buy a Subaru. That was the thing you, you needed to have when you were 16, when I was 16. Um, so cars were a big thing back then. They're not anymore now. You won't find anyone in 60 or driving a, a Subaru now, you know what I mean? But in more recent years, you've emerged more as somebody who speaks straight out about things, a, a social commentator, for want of yeah. a better phrase. I mean, that just happened, basically. Look... So, so people started asking me questions then I started answering them then people liked the answers so they asked more questions so it wasn't really a plan you know it wasn't kind of a moment when you thought I have to try to do something to make a difference to what's happening not at all um, well now there's a little bit uh, there was a small moment where um, like our, our main domain would be online you know we've a very large online following and like Facebook alone I've half a million people on Facebook and a reach of about two or three million. And a couple of years ago, especially at, at the height of, uh, you know, suicide is a huge problem in Ireland. We've 10 people dying a week from suicide and in Limerick in particular is the worst hit. And I, I myself, I, I had uh, my own mental health journey and I know a fair bit about psychology. So I used to wake up in the morning and look at the amount of uh, people that I had available to me on Facebook. I was like, Jesus, I have a half a million people here that I could reach. So I started to test out uh, giving a bit of positivity to people kind of going what if I in- it spoke about mental health today that might actually make someone a little bit happier and it, it's, it was ultimately selfish to be honest you know um, it, it was mainly it, it, it gave me a great sense of personal meaning to be potentially having an impact or even making a person a little bit happier or giving them a little light, a bit of light in their day you know I felt like an asshole just having this big Facebook page and just using it for jokes exclusively, you know? When you've been vocal about issues like mental health or feminism, this kind of mm-hmm. thing, gone on the late late on a, on a number of occasions, what is the kind of reaction you get from the other side, if that's the way to phrase it? Do you get, do you find yourself being dismissed as just another, oh yeah, it's another comedian, another artist with left-wing views that we don't really care oh, about? Oh, the other, like as in the people with opposing views? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, Jesus. Um, 
Man, I'd get more than that. I'd get death threats, like. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. How um, serious? Uh, well, a death ah, threat look, is pretty serious, I guess. It's but. pretty serious, but like, I mean, come down to Limerick and tell people you're looking for the rubber bandit, see how far you get. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, that's par for the course. I've been online since Bebo, you know, so I, I tend to kind of wash over. Um, you know, I would get a lot of, he's just a comedian looking for attention, typical liberal. Mm. I can't pay attention to that anymore. That's just completely repeated, repeated. I've, I've heard that too many times. What I'm interested in is criticism that has a weight behind it. Then I'll actually listen to it. Um, one of the best pieces of criticism I got recently, especially around the, the feminist issue, was um, when I spoke about feminism on The Late Late, right? That looks like a good thing. And it was a good thing and my intention was good. But the danger of me as a man speaking about feminism is that more people actually listen to me simply because I was a man. So I have to, like, I, I want what, to... Ha- what do you mean by that? And just uh, for people who didn't see that, you essentially argued that men should embrace feminism yeah, more men, what, for, their, for, their own, for their own growth. As yeah, well, I, I was addressing men regarding feminism. And what I was saying is that... Uh, feminism seeks to bring equality amongst the genders, right? Yeah. And with men, with, like there's certain way that men are raised, there's certain uh, expectations that a man, how how a man should be, and these aren't necessarily very helpful for our mental health. If you're not an aggressive person, and society is telling you to go out there and get onto a rugby pitch and box a couple of heads. That's not very pleasant if you're a sensitive type of man or if you're artistic. And there's a number of gender roles that we've been raised with as men that aren't necessarily helpful. And feminism is a solution to that because it seeks to eradicate kind of uh, gender stereotypes. But um, because I am a man, my voice is naturally louder in society than a woman. And for me to speak about feminism, I have to be very careful about it because I'm bringing the dog shit of male privilege into a feminist space. So my attitude now towards feminism online is I'll spend 50% of my time instead of talking about feminism retweeting women who are saying the same stuff using my privilege to elevate the voice of women do you get me? and that's a very important lesson I learned this year from just feminist girls who are supporters of us but who pointed out some of this stuff and I hadn't a clue about this because I'm a lad I'm used to people listening to me all the time I've never been uh, ignored or silenced uh, because of my gender do you know what I'm saying? yeah on that issue of, uh, you know, people, you can imagine people going, oh, you know, here's another artist, like another lefty artist. Yeah. And I mean, it is true that when you look around the media, when you look at comedians, when you look at artists, they actually do usually have left wing views. I they wondered. tend to be liberal. And yeah. uh, the, the psychological reason behind that is there's, um, there's this thing in psychology called the big five personality traits, right? Yeah. And one of these is a personality trait called openness. And openness is what, what kind of, you're very open to change, you're open to new experiences. P- people who are creative, whether it be uh, performers or artists, they tend to have very high level of openness. And people with open personalities tend to fall towards liberal views. People who aren't open, they tend to want to things to remain the same, to be a bit more conservative. Well, you, so, could, you could also have, you know, super, super creative artists who were ultra right wing I mean something like Tolstoy oh yeah I mean mean. like there was a a whole uh, there was a lot of artists in Italy in the 30s called the Futurists and they're revolutionary group of artists but they were full on Mussolini fascists you know Um, the odd right at the moment as well I mean 
their whole thing is that they see themselves as, as countercultural. The alt-right claim that the only uh, creativity of any relevance is happening from a right-wing viewpoint because liberalism has become the mainstream, you know? What happens when the power starts listening to the satirist? In the case of our Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, who recently posted a weekly update video with fairly mediocre sound quality, I think it's fair to say, Blind yeah. Boy. You told him to buy some proper equipment. Fragger began the next weekly update by saying, thanks very much to the Rubber Bandits for their advice on sound quality. What is that a dangerous place for a subversive to be, to be getting an approving nod from... I mean, sure, look, that's, that's going to happen. I mean, I've been doing this 17 years. Um, I try my best to keep my foot out of the mainstream, but then, you know, the Taoiseach acknowledges it. What I'd say to the Taoiseach is, I'm very glad that you bought a new microphone because I told you to now please invest loads of money into the mental health system if you're taking my advice and sort out vulture funds while you're at it <laughs> Well you did recently have a bit of a pop at him for the idea of hiking up off licence prices Yeah um, again my, like my issue isn't so much putting the price of drink up the problem is is it's it kind of steers around the conversation hmm. there's a city I go to in Spain called Cordoba I'm going over writing a book. Um, it's a little small city. There's not a lot of tourists there. It's like a hot limerick. <laughs> and um, I'm going to go there and it's a city of 300,000 people. I'm going to be the only drunk man in that city. I thought you said you were writing a book. I'm, well, I'm going to be drinking and writing, of course. <laughs> and I have a healthy enough relationship with drink, but I'm still Irish. There's parts of it that I'm trying to, you know, it's too deep in my culture to kind of get rid of. But I'm going to go to this Spanish city. I'm going to go into restaurants and go into bars. And by the time the place is closing, I'm going to be the only man who's drunk. Um, like the last time I was there, I noticed I ordered a cocktail. There was a table of ladies across the way from me who ordered the same cocktails. I had three of them gone when they were only finished their first. So there's something about how I was raised, my behaviour, my attitude towards drink, that means I drink more. Do you know what I mean? So what's wrong with the idea of putting people off that by pricing them out of it, essentially? It's, it, there's not necessarily wrong with that. I mean, you, you could, like, if, if, if you, you can... really want to sort this issue, right, putting an extra 50p onto a can of beer. All right, so if you want to put up the price of beer, do. Take that money, invest it into mental health and education. Invest it into teaching kids about having a responsible and proper relationship with substances because it's it's never the substance that's the problem unless we're talking something that's highly addictive but what I always say to to people is I, I'd never tell an adult to not to do something if somebody wants to drink if somebody wants to smoke smoke a bit of hash whatever that's their business but always ask yourself why because you'll find if you want to drink a can an important thing to do is you go, why do I want this can right now? If you ask yourself, ask your own emotions, if the reason is I've had a tough day, I'm stressed, I want to feel better, that's not the best reason to drink that can. You might be better off looking at that issue because when you do drink that can, you the alcohol in it numbs your emotions and all of a sudden you now have a dependency on an external substance to fix an internal issue. Um healthy can drinking is to do it because you're, you're I want to have a bit of crack I want a can I want to enjoy it do you get what I'm saying I that's, do, but that's but a healthy relationship that's I, about yeah, I do. But self-awareness in, in the short term though Blind Boy surely if you decide you do want to have this can but it's too expensive and you're better off spending it on some clothes for your kids for example maybe that's not a bad start to getting to grips with no this. it's not a bad start but the thing the, the, like I mean what, what you might be talking about there is someone with severe alcoholism they're going to find the drink regardless you know um, you know, if you want fags now, I mean, how has it worked for cigarettes? Like, 
Not at all. If you want fags, you go to Moore Street. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. And you buy the cheap ones. That's not stopping people smoking fag. Um, they, you know, more people will smoke Rollies now than they will uh, cigarettes because it's so much cheaper. But it hasn't done anything for people smoking. People are going to smoke regardless and find a cheaper way to do it. It's the idea that you can kind of fix social problems by fiddling around with prices just is the kind of thinking that seems to happen a lot. I, I, I would say, look, Leo, give it a lash, see how you get on, but use the extra revenue earned responsibly. I will pump, pump it back into schools and educate kids from a young age uh, regarding their relationship with substances. That's the important thing. If you use a substance with a, a degree of self-awareness, and I take it back to the issue earlier. If I want a can, and the reason I want that can is because I've had a bad day. If I, if I, if I kind of open myself up to that awareness, I no longer want the can. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? It, it, my defence mechanisms are no longer driving me towards the alcohol, and I'm going, yeah, I've had a crap day. I don't want that can anymore now because now I know why I want it. You may still want it though. <laughs> uh, yeah, and if I do, I, I'll make an adult decision to have a crack at it. I love cans. I love beer. I really enjoy it. I love smoking a bit of hash. I love these things. But I do it in moderation in a sensible fashion. I have it as a, as a reward thing. I drink cans at the weekend after a hard week work. All right, well, Blind Boy, I think it's pretty clear how passionate you are about these important societal issues. But what about the really big one, your sporting interest? I was waiting until you get to sport. I know I'm, nothing about no, sport. No, you're going to have to, I'm going to have to hold you there. We're going to have to leave this hanging. Great suspense, though. Really, really good way to build the suspense, <laughs> the suspense here. Are the rumours true that Blind Boy did, in fact, line out as first substitute on the Limerick FC team of 1991 under player manager Sam Allardyce, Ken? Who knows? Find out next in Second Captain Sunday as we journey through this sporting life of Blind Boy Boat Club. Second cabin, first cabin, whatever. I never got on those, those, those boys. Thanks for making in for all your tweets on Second Captain Sunday this morning. Owen, Ken and Murph all here. Blind Boy Boat Club from Rubber Bandits and Second Captains. I could listen to them all day. Always really interesting stuff, says Gillian Nellis. It certainly is, Blind Boy, but let's put the cards on the table straight off the bat here. Sport is not your thing, is it? No. Um, now, I don't want to... Uh, what I always say to people about sport, when people say to me, do you like sport? Uh, what my answer is, is I do not have the gift of understanding sport. Because when I was younger, I would uh, quite ignorantly say, I don't like sport because it's stupid. But then as I got older, I'd go, how can it be? So many people who I respect love it. I just don't get it. So I say, I don't have the gift of understanding sports. I just don't. I don't get it. Like, I mean, the closest thing is I'll watch people playing video games online. That's the closest thing I can get to it. But um, I grew up in Limerick, which is a mad rugby town, you know. Um, everyone plays rugby in Limerick. It's not something that's just kind of... Um, like in Dublin, only the posh people play it. In Limerick, everyone plays rugby. And I would grew up in a school that had a fine rugby tradition. And I used to just watch as the school would get loads and loads of money and put all that money into the rugby teams. And then we would be upstairs in the art room and we'd no paints and there was no money put into us so it was um, and the rugby players as well you know they'd get away with murder and stuff too you know what I mean so I yeah, wasn't what, what do you mean they'd get away with murder um, I remember Paul O'Connell threw a tennis ball at the at the he threw a tennis ball at, at the I was only in first year now he would have been in sixth year but he threw a tennis ball at the principal's head and got away with it like. <laughs> and is this true yeah but I, I do have to say we can't verify that at the moment blind boy but that's your recollection yeah, I, I was very young. I was only about twelve. He's a good few years older than me. And but were, you, were you struck by the injustice of this, or were you were you cheering? Yeah, because like I, I was only very young. I was terrified of six years, you know. But um, 
like I, I wouldn't have gotten away with that. Like I'd have been suspended. But uh, that was the deal with rugby players, you know. In 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 Limerick is because they were bringing such glory to the school. They were given, uh, they were kind of allowed to do things, which is grand. But it was mainly the funding, uh, like. You couldn't do art and music at the same time in my school because they were seen as silly subjects, you know. But if you were a rugby player, everything was switched around for you. So there was a certain level of privilege that went with being a rugby player and me being young and immature then, I kind of emotionally internalised that as to not like sports. The other thing too, I'd bad asthma when I was a child and I had a father with anxiety issues and he used to tell me I'd die if I played soccer. So that would... uh, that also contributed to me not liking sports. So would you say it was it was beyond simply not liking or understanding it and actually went into active hatred? Yeah, when I was younger and more immature. When I was cuz cuz uh, that's the easiest way to distance yourself from something that you don't understand, you know what I mean? Uh, I I'd, I'd see uh, lads watching a soccer game feel a little bit left out. And the easiest thing to do is go, that's because it's stupid and those people are stupid and they like soccer because they're stupid. And then when I got more mature, I just understood, no, I don't, I don't have the gift of understanding soccer or rugby or tennis or whatever. How do you feel now when you see grown men screaming at TV screens with a match on? I'm going to get political again. <laughs> go for it. Um, I tell you what, there's a, a lot of criticism towards the, the women who are looking for... Um, the repeal the eighth, right? The, mm-hmm. cr- the cr- criticism that's directed towards Irish feminists is that uh, the women are very shrill and I, I support what you're looking for, girls, but can you do it in a more ladylike fashion, please? I don't like it when you're shouting. It makes me uncomfortable. And we... Th- 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 that's an acceptable opinion. Yes, a lad can go into a bar and scream at Chelsea and it's totally normal. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think the nation needs a little bit of self-reflection on that. If a lad's allowed to scream because Chelsea are after scoring a goal or aren't scoring goals, then a woman is allowed to scream for her bodily rights. I think there's one distinction there, which is that, you know, because sport is basically a fictional arena, it's kind of like, it's sort of like a... Theatre. Yeah, it's, it's like a safe space for people to act like idiots, you know, like a kind of, it doesn't really matter... Or they don't really mean it. I mean, the the, the crazy men burning, uh, say, the shirt of a football player who's about to leave their club on Sky Sports News uh, are somehow kind of allowed to get away with that because this is this is football. Therefore, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. Whereas if they were, so the, have they got a character? Then are they almost like playing this football supporter character, and this is all part of the theatre? Yeah, like it gets t- taken less seriously than if they were, you know, burning the flag of some given country in a sort of. A, of course, a, yeah. I mean, I, I see, again, as an outside observer, I, I see, uh, we'll say, the psychological, um, what sport is psychologically, especially for supporters, is it's it's a way for kind of men to be loud and masculine at a time when we're not at war. Um, like, I, I remember watching a lot of Glasgow supporters in kilts up around Dublin, you know, and they were quite intimidating just walking around and it reminded me of an invading army, you know. There is that sense of... It's it's like going to war, but without having to the fight. Scottish rugby supporters were intimidating. I don't know, really? whatever they were. They were Scottish lads and kids. No, and they, they, probably, they probably were rugby supporters, but I'm just, I, I just, I don't know, I suppose I've been there in a lot just, of Scotland rugby matches. There was a lot Maybe of them. I'm, I'm, I'm inured to any sense of They dread. were walking up and down O'Connell Street in kilts and being very loud, and there was a lot of them. And I just remember looking, going, Jesus, man, they're doing that outside the GPO, and there was a load of Scottish black and tans. And it just reminded me of... 
their posturing, their collective confidence reminded me of, of an army, you know, and I started to make this connection between uh, sport supporting and that kind of military thing. You're talking about sport very much as a male-only pursuit here. So look, man, I haven't a clue. Girls like it as well. I yeah. mean, th- but just your point, your point about this being uh, there being no problem with men screaming at a screen in a pub watching Manchester United or whatever it might be. There's no problem with women doing that either. Is there? I don't know. I've never seen it. Hmm. Do you know? I mean, if there's a you've match playing the, in a pub, I'm, n- I'm, I'm out in the smoking area, you know? You've never seen women watching matches in... in I in wouldn't even be looking. Um, I don't know. I, like if, like I said, if sport is playing, I'm not around. It, it's it's yeah. not something... Um, it just doesn't do anything for me, you know? Is there any sports person who you admire? Well, you see, now, when I admire... Like, I, I like Conor McGregor. I haven't a clue what he's doing. He's kicking lads into the head. But I like the performance of how he does it. Do you know? Um, I like the character that Conor McGregor has gone for himself. Um, I think that's fantastic, you know? I like the way he uses psychology. Um, people say, you know, Conor McGregor's an asshole. It's like he's not an asshole. He's playing a character. If Conor McGregor was an asshole, he wouldn't be where he is today. It requires too much discipline. Do you ever feel then a bit of tension between your admiration for McGregor, the performer, um, you know, who, who is doing amazing things? I mean, just the, the, the following is incredible. He's, he's probably the most famous Irishman in the world yeah. at the moment. And But I'll watch the press conferences and then when the fight comes on, I just like, give me the results. I don't know who won. But do you have any tension between, between admiring what he's doing as a showman and some of the things, some of the content of what he actually says? Like say the, the, the tour that he did recently with Floyd Mayweather, where, you know, there was quite a lot of sort of face-palming moments. Um, you know? Yeah, there was a few bits there. I mean... Well, the misogyny in particular, I mean, he's, he's, he uses the word bitch pretty freely. He's very, yeah, he's, he's very he's, misogynistic. He's, he's, does that not go against, entirely against what you said earlier about feminism being the thing to embrace for Yeah, males? it does. But I mean, yeah, I'm capable of uh, holding two opposing views in my head at the same time. I mean, that's what I do. I mean, I, I don't... Um, like, I, I can still admire elements of Conor McGregor's performance while at the same time not necessarily approving of certain sentences he says and I think that's an it's an important thing for people to do because I just don't want to be black and white about it it's like oh right he's after saying something now bad about women am I not allowed do I have to ignore Conor McGregor now it's like no I disapprove of that specific aspect of his behaviour however there's other aspects of his behaviour that I enjoy and I'm going to try and look at that in a reasoned and balanced fashion you know you made the point that he couldn't be a total asshole if he has risen to where he's risen too but surely in life assholes get to the top the entire time um, it depends what, what, what that type of asshole already is um, what I should say really is, is like it takes a lot of discipline to, to train the way he does to get to where he is and if he was a loose cannon he'd have had too many fights outside chippers and he wouldn't his licence would have been taken away you know um, and yes assholes do get to the top and it's a terrible shame. Just look at Donald Trump, you know? That man's a goal. <laughs> Is there any correlation at all between a sports person and an artist in how they approach their work, do you think? Um, absolutely. Um, uh, like, uh, again, uh, how, how you, the, the attitude that you have to have towards failure and goals and things like that, you know? Um, a good artist will learn to embrace failure. Um, a good artist will... Uh, they know that failure isn't really a thing, that when failure does happen, it's a good thing because you're going to learn from it and grow. A sports player has to be the same way. If you're afraid of failure, you'll simply freeze 
as an artist and as a sports person and you can't have that you can't be at your best if failure is something that you don't embrace and take as a natural part of the process um, I'm sure there's many uh, a soccer player that, that never was because they were scared of failing and there certainly is a lot of artists that never were because they were scared of failing you know It's great to talk to somebody like this blind boy who has a certainly different view to sport than we would have we're always we almost take it well I can speak for myself I must take it as read that of course sport is great for kids it's as simple as that everyone should be doing what they can it's great for health oh, it's great for wrong mental. with it Jesus but, but I, know, I know but do people do schools and do do people in society need to be just a little bit careful that actually kids can also feel alienated from sport and maybe it can be a source of, of anxiety if they're in a rugby school for example if they're in a big GA school and they're just not good or they're just not interested in that kind of thing People should be aware of it and, and to you know to be aware of the language around it basically like um, if someone doesn't want to play sports and they prefer to read books to don't call them a sissy just go mm. that's their crack Did you and, get that when you were in school? Oh getting Jesus it? Yeah. yeah 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 um, Man, it, 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 the main thing that was uh, homophobic stuff, and I'm not gay, but that would have been the thing. Homophobic, it's just like y- you are obviously gay, you're a woman, you don't want to play sports, what's wrong with you? You're a sissy, what are you doing drawing pictures, listening to music, get out onto the field and jeered. So it, it forced me into a kind of a, an outsider position, you know? So that would have been a big source of, of bullying then? Oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, How did you the rugby players' rule in, yeah. in in Limerick? You know. How did you deal with that? Me by yeah. being the funniest man in the class. <laughs> Do you know? A typical. That's that's how you deal when you're being bullied. Um, I, I, what I would do is I just make sure when I'm in class I'm I'm the fella who's making the entire place laugh and then you get the approval from the fellas who'd normally be shoving you into a locker. You know. Yeah. But boy, I have yeah. to say, right? Uh, the rugby players that were assholes and that were bullies they were never the ones who became successful. They were always the fellas who almost made it to the Monster C team. Really? Yeah. The ones that are now actually, you know, uh, professional players, they were sound. They were the ones who were minding their business and training. It's the lads who got involved in the culture of rugby and like to be seen as a rugby player or called one. They were the fellas that were toxic. Um, The actual successful ones were sound. Okay. So the good ones didn't bother you? For, for a large no, because they don't have emotional issues. They're able to focus on their game. They're able to better themselves. The ones that were bullies, uh, they were just using rugby as, a, as an identity to cover up for their lack of self-esteem, you know. And there's a sadness behind that, you know. Well, usually... Uh, These men are all now adults and friends of mine, by the way. So, <laughs> it's grand. <laughs> well, usually at this stage, Blind Boy, we do ask our guests on a Sunday morning to... Give us one sporting highlight from their own career, something that they've achieved <laughs> in that realm. Uh, if you can dip into your apparently extensive list of I was achievements. About, I, I don't know, I was four. And, and when I was four, Scalacci scored a goal, so my ma fed me pasta for a week. That's all I can think of. <laughs> that's, that's better than some we've heard. Did he score a goal? I don't know. Who's Scalacci? Uh, Scalacci was she, was she celebrating it, punishing you? I, mean, what was, I, I had a friend who lied about fishing out of a helicopter with Jack Charlton. He yeah, changed yeah. the Jack Charlton, chuck him up into a helicopter fishing and showed him a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> you told that lie in the Irish Times, I think. I did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah, that's the thing. The Irish Times came to me once and said, um, uh, actually this takes me on to my next subject the Irish Times came to me and said will you write one of your sporting memories and I was like I don't have any so they said just write anything so I wrote a little short story about Jack Charlton fishing out of a helicopter which was based on my friend's lie and that little story that I wrote I enjoyed doing it so much that I said right I'm going to write a book of short stories now 
which is what I've been doing for the past year. Go on, so this is the book Actually, that's sports fault. <laughs> that's interesting. Now, you're after pointing that out to me. If the Irish Times hadn't asked me to do this thing about sport, I would not have written a book of short stories. So this is the book that's already written. You said you're going I over just to Spain to do some writing. Okay, brilliant. I wrote, uh, yeah, I spent the last year writing a book of short stories. It's 16 short stories. It's called The Gospel According to Blind Boy. Great. It's going to be out around October, I think. And I enjoy doing it so much that I'm off to Spain now to write a second book. Well, listen, I don't even have a deal I'm just going to write it <laughs> Yeah somebody will pick it up I'm sure Yeah I'm just going to write it Blind boy I'm not going to lie I think the chances of you Hitting top spot On our greatest non-sports person Sports person list Are not high But that call is out of my hands We're running short on time here Let's get stuck in And rank this sporting life Of Blind Boy Boat Club You don't understand I could have had class We don't have stars in this game Mrs Weaver well, What do you have then? People like me I could have been a contender I could have been somebody The man with the power to decide your fate is our This Sporting Life Grand Marshal Kieran Murphy, Murph. Uh, thank you indeed, Owen. We have a current leader. His name is Nicky Byrne of Westlife uh, on 87.5 points out of 100 with Pat Short a half point behind. And last week's guest, Adam Hills on 82. Maeve Higgins is a distant fourth, but... That could be all about to change, John. <laughs> You've already outlined the limits of your athletic experience, Blind Boy, so when it comes to analysing your all-time personal sporting highlight and your sporting knowledge, you will be judged as sympathetically as possible. And say what you like about sport, but it is your muse, your gala, your mode gone, or at least a fictional retelling of Jack Charlton fishing with dynamite with your buddy turned out to be your writing muse. Either way, what greater impact could sport possibly have had on your life? Getting intimidated by Glasgow rugby supporters suggests, how shall I put this, an incomplete picture of the hooligan element currently ramping its way through the Pro 14. We knew it was going to be low on. We knew this. It's going to be 42 points out of 100. Why 42? Well, it's the secret of the universe, as uh, Douglas Adams revealed all those years ago. I wanted a nice ordinary number, one that you wouldn't mind taking home and introducing to your parents, as Adams, Adams once said. So 42 it is. This has been This Sporting Life of Blind Boy Boat Club. Listen, Blind Boy Boat Club, you've been absolutely amazing. Really appreciate you. And I suppose appreciate you coming along and best of luck with the writing process in Thank Spain. You very much. Round of applause, please, for Blind Boy. You said something by PJ Harvey on Second Captain Sunday this bank holiday Sunday morning. 51551 is the text number. Tweet at Second Captains. Absolutely massive reaction coming in to Blind Boy Boat Club from Rubber Bandits today. Catherine says, holy moly, Blind Boy Boat Club is nailing it on Second Captains about shrill women in inverted commas. Hashtag repeal the eighth. I'm 65 years old. That guy's like a breath of fresh air. Comes in another one. There's disciplined assholes out there as well, uh, which is possibly <laughs> a fair, fair point. Not, not mutually exclusive. Towards that particular area of their lives is uh, unforgiving, unre- unrelenting. I love how you can hear the plastic bag rattling away when Blind Boy is talking. Yeah, the bag does not come off, I don't think, in appearances. Girls like it as well. Not the most feminist of, of all statements, or not the most feminist of statements. That one is from Julianne McCaig. But Ashling Cronin says, Great to hear Blind Boy acknowledging male privilege and speaking about the need to amplify women's voices on second captains. There's one here, Murph, I think you'll be interested in this. It Go comes on. in from Peter in Cork who says in my 50s I wasn't going to listen to the show today because of the guest not my type but boy he's brilliant sorry for my prejudice <laughs> I do, should, should we I think we've got a no, welcome we I accept th- your apology we, we accept Peter's apology I'm glad apology you accepted. enjoyed it there yeah uh, I don't know yeah, certainly a very different attitude towards sport than what a lot of our guests have mm. had how much of it goes back to the Paul O'Connell tennis ball incident in the school <laughs> I mean, I mean, I refuse to believe that this could be true. I mean, although at the same time, I probably could see him getting away with it, to be fair. I mean, how tall was Paul Connell at 
the age of 18. I mean, I'm sure he was a pretty imposing physical presence, quite apart from the leadership skills that he no doubt displayed, not only on the rugby field, but throughout the school. Academically. Itself. So you, well, you think it would be less, you think it would be better if, if a student who actually physically hooked over the principal was to bully him, <laughs> as opposed to a small a small kid who was yes. just to take his life in his hands? Yes. Okay. yes I, I think that's what I think. Thanks again to Blind Boy. Hopefully the writing is going to go well there in Spain. I mentioned earlier in the show a documentary produced by The Guardian recently that provided a much-needed good news story around the integration of refugees refugees in Ireland. You can still watch it on the Guardian's website. It's one of their most popular videos ever. Released the same week, the government report came out highlighting the difficulties faced by kids in direct provision. The documentary tells the story of a GA club in Ballyhawness and Mayo and the efforts there to include children from the local direct provision centre as well as other kids from a variety of different backgrounds. The movie, backgrounds I should say, the movie is called Pitching Up. Ballyhawness is a small market town in the west of Ireland. Population maybe about 3,000 people. It's as rural and traditional a place as you could get in Ireland. The idea of people coming here was, was bizarre. Now the town is maybe the most cosmopolitan small town in Ireland. Actually, it is the most cosmopolitan small town in Ireland. We have been a very sheltered society before that. Seldom seen any foreigners. Come on! A lot of people, when I'm talking to them, they all think that I was born here with the accent and everything, you know? How many different nationalities were like off the top of my head? Just Russian, Polish, Lithuanian, Syrian, Pakistani, Ivory Coast, Congo. I think I counted up 14 one day. One of the voices in there, the man describing Ballyhonis as the most cosmopolitan small town in Ireland, was Owen Butler, who wrote a great piece on this subject for the Irish Times a couple of years ago. That description is backed up by the census, which showed that more than half of the kids going to the local school don't speak English at home as their first language. Owen, thanks very much for chatting to us about this. Can you tell us what Ballyhonis was like when you were growing up there yourself in the 1980s? There was a Pakistani community even back then, I believe. There was a Pakistani community dating back to the 1970s. There was a halal meat factory in the town. So when I was a kid, there would have been Pakistani kids, there would have been Irish kids, there would have been Syrian kids, there would have been traveller kids. You know, it was it was uh, it was um, reasonably diverse for the time, but not that as kids we would have paid any attention to that. It was just normal to us. So in more recent times, in the documentary, we what was put across was these attempts being made to integrate children from. The local, from different backgrounds, including from the local direct provision centre. These are children of yeah. refugees. Well, they're refugees themselves who are kind of in limbo at the moment. And, and the one place in the town that they seem to be able to get a connection to other people from is the local GA club. There are, very, there are several different components to the, to the ethnic makeup in Ballyhonas. As I presume it's clear, there, is the, there are the, the Pakistani and the Syrian kids and all that, there's East Europeans. Specifically about the direct provision, they're mostly, I mean, there are a lot of different backgrounds, but a lot, mostly, I would say, African. Um, and there was a concerted effort to get them involved in the club. But, and, and I suppose that the documentary, which was filmed last summer, was a, a snapshot in time of quite an optimistic picture is, is painted as a result. I don't know that that picture would be exactly accurate right now because a lot of the kids that were a lot of the African kids that were featured in the documentary are no longer involved in the club. And the, ch- the challenges of getting kids like that involved in, in the club, are, in, any, in any GA club, wherever there's a direct provision, th- those challenges are very steep. They're, you know, they're, they're not inconsiderable. What sort of challenges are, are you talking about? What's in the way of the GA club there and GA clubs in general? 
Well, the, the challenges aren't really related to the GA club. The challenges are related to direct provision itself. The families um, don't have any money. They're not allowed to work. They're living on a really, really low amount of money. So the kids don't have things like transport. They don't have football boots. They don't have shorts. They, you know, they don't have jerseys, the normal things that you would need to play football. And then from, I suppose, the point of view of not Ballyhonest GA club, but any GA club, the, the the thing is, do you give a pair of football boots to a kid the first time they turn up, not knowing if they're ever going to show up again? Um, it, it's it's very difficult. I mean, do you, you you can try and give range for transportation for the kids to come to and from training, but there are issues to do with insurance. There are issues to do with vetting people. You know, it's 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 all very very complicated and it's very hard. And I suppose the odds are stacked against you in terms of having much success. It's funny, because um, in the in that documentary, as you say, it's a snapshot in time. Things seem to be going well at that stage. As you said, there were kids from a lot of different backgrounds, it seemed, who were making a go of it and were overcoming those challenges at that time. What was behind that, At least, even if it was temporary, maybe, that sort of success? Well, I suppose in in the case of Ballyhonest, it was it was. I mean, there's always been kids of, of different backgrounds, and you know the, the the club feels lots and lots and lots of teams, and everybody. There's a whole community of people involved in in training and all of that. But I suppose that specific thing, the the person that would deserve credit for it is Darren Conlon, who is a hurling trainer who really took it upon himself as a, he's a guard with kids in school and kind of, I suppose, kind of realising that for the future of the town, the, the, the only way forward in his view and, and in my view was for the, for the kids to integrate and to get all the kids from all the different backgrounds together, get them playing. And it wasn't just from, I suppose, from a, from a, a future of the town and cohesiveness reason. It was also because demographically the club needs to have kids from these backgrounds because if they don't, they're not going to be able to field teams going into the future. The, the problem is that I suppose there are two schools of thought on when it comes to something like integration. There is one that would say, you know, integration enriches everyone. It's good for the kids. It's good for the new Irish. It's good for the old Irish. And for a town like Ballyhonest, it's kind of vital for the future cohesiveness of the town. But there is another school of thought. And that one is that there are too many immigrants in the town or in the country that that, that integration isn't the be all and end all, that people are better off staying in their own lane. And that, that, that drawing attention to like the unique situation that exists in Ballyhonest is somehow maybe damaging to the to the town's image. Now, I would subscribe to the former view, and because my view is considered politically correct, <clears throat> I can come on this radio show and say it. Because the other view is considered politically incorrect, people don't give voice to it. So the impression that comes away from the film that was on The Guardian or from the article that I did is that everyone has my view, whereas in reality, my view might not be the unanimous opinion. It might, in fact, be the minority opinion, and that's kind of something that we're having to, to deal with, you know? Uh, it sounds like maybe some of the reaction to the documentary hasn't been entirely positive then. Well, no, yeah, you could, I mean, you could look at the YouTube comments and you could see that a lot of people don't think that um, it's certainly a, a debate, but it's not a debate that's had very openly, you know? It's not a debate where people come out directly and say what they think. And I've been, t- and I tried to be as fair-minded and as, you know, non-judgmental about the bad reaction to it. And I suppose... It just puts me in a position here of having to like to, to articulate a viewpoint that I don't share and in many ways I don't fathom. But a lot of people think that drawing attention to this issue is bad, for, is damaging for the for the reputation of the town, and they don't like the fact that um, that attention is being drawn in this way. Um, and I suppose 
the the viewpoint I, the, the the question I would have for people who have that view is what's your alternative vision like if the town doesn't if the kids don't integrate if if the the town remains having you know communities that don't know each other that don't integrate and I'm not just pointing the finger of blame here at the Irish side I'm also pointing the finger at I think all I think all uh, all strands to the community need to make a concerted effort to get to know each other and to integrate and because I don't see that there is really an alternative. I don't see what the what the alternative vision for the future would be. There's a point made in the Guardian documentary that it's difficult. It's very difficult to integrate the adults to do much for the adults in this sort of limbo world of direct yeah. provision. Not that they should be given up on, but if you can get the kids, if you can find a way to get the kids involved and to welcome them as openly as possible that that's really the more achievable target in some ways. Yeah, like the, you'd have to, I mean, really the most positive way forward that I could see would be to do something about direct provision. That's that's the root of the problem that, I mean, I, I visited the, the refugee center in, in Ballyhonas and it's, it's a very depressing place. It's, a, it's a, you know, a 19th century convent um, the 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 you know for all the, the photographs that we got and, and and you know the the visuals that you get of smiling children there's a lot of you know depressed people moping around in a gloomy building with no hope for the future and I think really tackling that which isn't something the GA can do it's something the government can do would be the first step to um, to writing some of these problems. In terms of what the GA can do, it's funny or GA clubs we contacted a number of them that are in close proximity to direct provision centres around the country, places like St. Patrick's in Stamullen and Meath, which is the closest club yeah. to the Mosny Centre. They find it very hard to get access to the kids, is what we heard back. The centre is f- quite isolated, so only a couple of kids have ever spent any time in the club. St. Saviour's, that's in Waterford City, close to Birchwood House. They know of the centre there, but there aren't any kids who've come to the club. There's no involvement from yeah. them. You know, people, it, it feels like in cases people are keen to help. We heard stories from other clubs of young boys and girls being uh, given bikes, being given transport to get to the GAA club. But it, it seems like access as much as anything is a big issue. It's hard to let the kids in those centres know that, hey, one way into this society is to come here and play sport. Yeah, like in the, when I was up, we were bringing kids down to the integration day in Ballyhonest two years ago. Um, and this is why I, I feel that like the impression can be misleading. I, for every kid that we were loading onto the bus, there were other kids, maybe a little bit older kids, that were... Um, kicking football around, I thought maybe in a slightly aggressive manner, you know, and, and I kind of felt like they were deliberately playing football to show me that they did play football, but they just didn't want to come. Um, because, you know, if you were a teenager and you'd spent the last six years in this situation and your parents didn't have any private area to spend as a, as a, as a family together and you were living on, you know, next to nothing, wh- why would you feel well disposed towards the host community? Why would you want to go, you know, um, and integrate? I could, if there, if there was bad feeling on their side, I could understand where that was coming from. And I would I would really think, you know, the bottom line here is what kind of a future do we want? Do we want our country or, or the, the towns in, like concerned? Do we want them to end up like France and Belgium are now? Or do we want to learn from the mistakes that other countries have made and act now to, to, to save us this heartache down the line? I'd like to end on a really positive note. <laughs> um, but it okay, sounds like, try, well, no, I don't know if I can because it sounds like the picture you're painting is certainly a lot more nuanced than it's, it's, it's hard to get too much nuance into a 15 minute movie that we watched during the week. But yeah. it doesn't sound as though you necessarily see the GA as 
one of the answers, uh, even well, even no, I, in I, the I, context of I think of, the of GA are doing resource. everything that yeah. they can, and I think they they're like it's really really low. And, and the negative note that I'm really striking there is related to direct provision, which is only a very small part of the overall immigrant picture. Um, but I think the GA is doing all it can. I just don't think the GA is equipped, or anyone other than the government is equipped. To, to deal with the issues that are there when it comes to direct provision. Yeah, that sounds fair enough. Listen, Owen Butler, thanks so much for giving us a sense of what the situation is like in Ballyhonas at the moment. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to have a look at the documentary, it's called Pitching Up on the Guardian website. That's just about it for this morning, but I'm already excited about our guest for next week's show. The artist Dorothy Cross will be with us from 10am next Sunday. In the meantime, you can join us all week at secondcaptains.com. Daily shows from our own studios. Marion Fanukin's up next. Thanks to Sheila Vale on sound. Mark Morgan and Simon Hick produced. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, all. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. Second cap, first cap, and whatever. <laughs>